0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: From Tribune Audio Network, this is the Crazology Podcast. In a dark, small bar in the middle of Kansas City, Missouri people are sipping on their whiskey and drinking their beers, waiting for the live music to begin. And this woman with brown hair takes the stage. She's equipped with only a banjo and starts plucking the strings with ease. She creates a soft, delicate sound that can barely be heard over the sound of the clanking glasses and the quiet roar of the room. Her name is Kelly Hunt, and if you're from Kansas City, you're probably a bit confused. The Kelly Hunt people know here is a blues musician, not some quiet, delicate-sounding folk artist. You see, Kelly moved to the Metro from Tennessee after the blues artist was already established, and she's been making a huge impact in the singer-songwriter community since. There's really one big reason I wanted to talk to her for an episode, and that's because there's something special about Kelly's music, and you can hear it here for yourself. This is Birdsong by Kelly Hunt
2: sitting on a wire you got a lot on your mind these days Every song you sing is like a preaching to the choir That disregard every word you say So go And don't you look back Don't you know I'm gonna cut you some slack You get a dollar in the jar and a tip of the hat Swear you've been following me I know What to say about that Down the road The sky's looking black I know I got trouble up ahead Won't you fly Won't you come and fly for me Time to take a week. For me, oh won't you die. Oh, well it's time to take away
1: I think the first thing that I really wanted to ask you. Almost every person that I've talked to about your music has always used the exact same word to describe it. <laughs> and they all say it's just special and I'm curious like what you think about that and like do you think your own music is special or do you think that this is just who you are
3: Mm, it's a nice thought I um yeah I mean I, I think it's a little bit of of a lot of things in my mind it makes sense in my mind why my music is what it is but um Yeah. I think that's part of, I think I was self-conscious about the album in the beginning because it doesn't really fit cleanly into any box. I mean, it's genre wise, it touches on a lot of things and um, it is distinctively me. uh, And I wasn't thinking too hard about what I was doing when I was writing these songs. They were just kind of, you know, they came out naturally. So I like that about them. You know, I wasn't laboring over them or trying to make them into anything. They just kind of are a very pure reflection of, of me and all of the different eclectic musical influences I had growing up. And, um, well, that's nice. I like that.
1: (laughs) You're originally from Tennessee and, Uh um, you moved here, but Mm -hmm. I I think you've had some of these songs before, before you got here.
3: Yeah. So when, Uh when
1: did the majority of the album or your first album that you put out really Mm -hmm. come together?
3: Well, the title track is the oldest one. Um, That was the first song that I wrote on banjo that I still play. And that was probably like, it's probably eight years old. Um, And then the rest, I think if this is true, well, the blues I actually wrote when I was uh, still living in Memphis of... Um, that's probably the second oldest and then everything else I wrote after I moved to Kansas city about four years ago. And it was just kind of, I moved here for a job, you know, in graphic design. I wasn't moving here for music. I didn't even know there was an Americana folk music scene here. You at out. uh, Yeah, I did. And, (laughs) and it brought, it brought, you know, I started doing some open mics and it really brought that out of me and, uh, started getting some gig offers and just, it developed very organically, but, um, it just kind of lit a fire under me to start writing and finally I allowed the floodgates to open. You know, I I grew up around music and I'd been writing since I was a kid, but, uh, hadn't really gotten serious about it till, uh, right before I moved to Kansas city and then being here, the community just kind of brought it out of me in a new way. So I was writing faster than I could. I was trying to just keep up with myself. You know, it was that special little period of my creative development where it was just like, um, a ton of material, uh, and that's not the way it is anymore, necessarily. You know, it's a little bit more measured, sure. Um, but yeah, it's just a special little uh, moment in time where all those songs kind of came out within the period of a year, um, and then I recorded twice as much as we ended up. You know, being able to use so it was just a matter of weeding out. You know, what are the songs that sort of fit together and and compose a narrative? And so, yeah, it's cool experience.
1: So if it started right before you were leaving Tennessee, mm-hmm. do you think that that had something to do with the amount that you were able to pour out? Because it a lot of your music is very folk. Uh, there's a lot of um, Appalachian folk kind of mm-hmm. sound in there. Um, so do you think that as you were preparing to transition into a, a different life that mm-hmm. you were kind of expressing who you were from all those years living in Tennessee?
3: Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I would say to clarify what I said earlier, it is a very folk. I mean, that's the genre of the stuff, but in my mind, it's like, I'm not an old time musician. I don't play old time traditional music. I don't play bluegrass. I don't play country. You know, I don't play blues, but it's a little bit of all those things to create sort of my particular brand of folk. And, uh, definitely. I mean, my years, you know, after college, I went to, I lived in the Hudson river Valley and farmed actually the shirt I'm wearing is from that uh, period of my life. And, uh, yeah, I was just immersed in nature and farming and, and agriculture. And that imagery is very much, you know, there's elements of of these songs very much steeped in that chapter of my life. And um, then moved to East Tennessee and was living in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains and introduced to Appalachian mountain music, old town music, and um, started writing, you know, in a different way, uh, being exposed to that. So absolutely. I mean, it's all the colors of, of all those experiences um, that definitely shaped the album and what it is. Um, but I had just before I moved to Kansas city, just moved back to Memphis where I'm from, um, and was just really in this sort of at a crossroads. Um, and I tried on all these different careers and nothing was working. And, uh, So I was very much searching and music was kind of what I turned to in this little lull between jobs. Um, And that's when things just started gelling and I started actually for the first time venturing out to play my songs for people Um, like the month, the months right before I moved to Kansas City. So so. how old were you when you started performing for people? Um, Gosh, probably 20... 24 I mean, I grew up doing theater, and I grew up singing in choir, and I grew up performing other people's material. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wrote to the walls of my room and sang to the walls of my room. It was like that was a totally different thing to th- conceive of, like actually letting original songs come out of my mouth in front of people. Um, and I was terrified by that notion. It took me a couple years to actually like accept that that was what I needed to do. <laughs>
1: I'm curious if you think that a part of your stage presence that you have now is still developed from that letting or finally expressing yourself artistically mm. um, at a later age where a lot of people right. will go through that. I want to be in a rock band in high school. Right, and so they yeah. get some of that experience out when, when they realize that their music, mm-hmm. or they don't think their music sucks, and then they get older, and they're like, oh, that was terrible. Now I can start doing cooler stuff. Right. Um, so do you, do you think that your stage presence is directly affected by uh, when you started performing your own music?
3: That's a good question. I mean, I think I definitely, it took me some time to figure out what my style was, you know, to figure out even what my voice was. Uh, was. And, um, so I worked out a lot of kinks though, privately. I mean, because I did, I started writing on piano as a teenager and, you know, my family would always hear me sing these mm-hmm. songs, um, cause they were just around, but I worked, I really worked out a lot before I ever hit a stage with my, with my music. Um, so I guess I kind of did, and and even you know when I was at the Westport Saloons, really where I got my start, it was my first gig. And even on that stage, like I stumbled across some old saloon live video feeds from like years ago, and was just laughing. I mean, watching myself, I was still really figuring out, um, you know, how to be comfortable on a stage and feel like myself on a stage, mm-hmm. you know, and and have that feel natural and. Um, so, yeah, it takes time, I think, uh, but I definitely, yeah, you have to mature into it. And um, I'm definitely comfortable in a way that I never dreamed I would be, you know, when I first started out. I was just like, I'm always going to shake like this. My voice is never going to sound the way it does, <laughs> you know, when I'm playing in my room. People will just never hear me the way I really hear myself. And of course, that wasn't true. You know, it just takes jumping in and getting acclimated. So,
1: right. How long did it take you to become the performer that you are right now from that time when you were just 24 and just starting to perform your own songs? uh,
3: Probably, I mean, to where I am now, probably a few years. Uh, I mean, even after I first moved to Kansas city and was playing open mics and things, I couldn't open my eyes. You know, I could get on stage and I could perform in a certain way. I could sound like my, you know, I could sound like myself. I wasn't shaking, but I couldn't look at people. I couldn't connect. Um, and that probably was that way for, you know, a year or so. And I'm sure if you'd, talk to people who first saw me when I first started playing in a rural grit and some of these places around town. I mean, they've seen the evolution of my comfort on stage. It's, um, I really was deeply uncomfortable with it, uh, for, for at least a year, probably two years. And then three years in, I started to kind of feel like I, you know, belonged up there and, and could knew my knew what headspace I needed to tap into to, to do it. Um, and feel like myself yeah still weird though, really? at moments, yeah
1: like uh, how so would would you how how would you describe the weirdness now that you're even more comfortable with yourself but there's still weird moments?
3: um i would I think it will always be kind of weird just because I am at heart a true introvert, and <laughs> so it's just I marvel at myself sometimes that i it's so outside of my nature in a lot of ways to like do that. And, um, that interaction, that sort of, so yeah, I've just had to kind of, um, and some nights I feel more natural at it than others, but it's also like just kind of a strange thing to be up on a stage and there's people looking at you and, and you're just playing from your, you know, heart to them for two hours or whatever. And, and it's this strange sort of bond um, and shared experience that, that happens with all these strangers that you may never actually even talk to or know that they just experienced you in this way. You know, it's mm-hmm. just kind of a marvelous,
1: but strange thing. I mean, your music is, it's very intimate and your mm-hmm. shows are also very intimate. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, there's sometimes it's you and a ma- or a violin player. Stash, yeah. Um, and then sometimes it's just you. Mm-hmm. Um, was the eye closing thing just like, because you didn't want to make the contact or, and then now that you're more open about opening your eyes are like, what's that experience like when you actually lock eyes with somebody on stage? Like, can there times where you just like can't look away or, (laughs) or are you just like, so you're like in your own groove so you can do whatever.
3: Well, it's kind of both. I mean, um, it's it's funny. I was on this tour. I was listening to Working Songwriter by Joe Pug. You know that podcast. Mm-mm. It's a great podcast. I'll check it out. Um, yeah, but he was interviewing Gregory Allen Isakov, who I really appreciate his music and him as a, as an artist and a man. And um, he was saying how he had to get to a point where he couldn't. Uh, he realized he didn't. He couldn't make eye contact with people because he would forget the words to his <laughs> songs. And that's kind of the way I am. It's like because I'm. I'm, when you're up on stage, you see everything, you see everything. And so unless you're blinded by the lights, but a lot of times, you know, there's just so much to distract and I'm trying to play and trying to sing and remember the words and be present and natural. And it's like, sometimes it just takes one little interaction that interests me and my mind starts to drift to what I'm seeing (laughs) rather than what I'm doing. And it's like, so I have to be careful about not, you know, locking, into, uh, any particular thing, uh, for too long or I sort of like lose myself in what I'm seeing. Um, uh, that's just the way my brain works. But yeah, I think that's another thing. Like when I go to a show, I don't expect, a, an artist to make eye contact mm. with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something I tend to just do now, um, as more of just a connection point, like, I don't know. So maybe it's weird for people. I don't know. Maybe it's weird. Maybe people don't like that. I don't
1: know. I don't know. I guess.
3: It's just like something, it's like I'm singing to you. I'm not going to sing to the ceiling or sing to the room. I'm singing to you guys, you know? Well, especially bigger,
1: I don't know. For me, me, going to bigger shows, it's like you're in this huge crowd and then you think they're looking at you (laughs) and then you're like, wait, are we having a moment right now because they're rocking this song and I'm like, I'm
3: feeling it and feeling they're feeling it? me yeah. and they're like taking my energy. and <laughs>
1: <laughs> But most likely no. it's probably just, they're just like, Oh, I need to look somewhere else now. <laughs>
3: No, but that's something like definitely when you're on stage and you're playing a a good long set, especially an intimate set, you identify the people who are, there's like a, there's like strings between you and certain members of the audience where you know they're picking up what you're putting down and you're feeding on that energy. Mm -hmm. And if there's just one person in a room that you're getting, but it's like this current of electricity and, uh. You don't even have to be looking for it. It's like, I feel like you can just feel it. Um, it's important. You know, it's important for me as a performer to be able to like really uh, be present and like just give it everything I've got to have that pipeline of energy. Um, so maybe that's, maybe eye contact helps. I don't know. I don't know.
1: It's Who a knows? good question. I'm here to think
3: about this now.
1: Um, well, one of the songs that I've heard you play a lot, and um, you decided to record it still very just you solo, um, was Cross the Great mm, vibe. Mm-hmm. And why did you decide when you went to record it that you weren't going to add any other stuff? And it's it your first track off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's first track right off the bat. Yeah. So, like, why, why did you decide that this was what you wanted people to hear right, right away?
3: Um. I mean, I wrote that song probably a week before I recorded it, so it was very fresh. I wasn't even comfortable playing it yet. I mean, I didn't; it wasn't internalized to the point where I could just rattle it off. It was very fresh, and uh, I was actually just alone in the studio with Kelly Wirtz, the engineer, and Stosh hadn't come in yet uh, for the session, and so I was just like, "Well, we've got some time. I'll just lay down some solo stuff." And um, it was just one take, you know, just got it out and it was just the right time and just the right energy and it was still fresh and um, so then Stosh came in shortly after and we played it back and he was like let's not do this let's not touch this one again and uh, so I hadn't even showed it to him no one had heard it before other than yeah I don't think anyone had heard it before actually Um, and so it was just one of those songs that kind of um it's kind of nice to be able to record something when you haven't had too much time to you know it hasn't morphed into anything yet it's just
1: raw it can is there like a way you can describe hitting a track on your very first take in a recording session and just being like yeah it's done <laughs> well
3: you know it took me so it took a couple years to make this album just because I'd never done it before, so I had a lot to learn. but uh there's a particular headspace of being in the studio that uh, takes some time to get used to because it's this it's easy to get into that perfectionist mode. every nuance of what you're doing is being picked up. You're thinking about this is the definitive take of the song. like no matter how many ways we've played it and improvise or whatever, like this is the way people are gonna remember the song and listen to it over and over again. It's easy to get into, it's weird headspace with it and uh, things can start to get real sterile and kind of like you're just so focused on getting a perfect take that you're just losing the liveliness and heart of it. And uh, there's a psychology to that. There's a psychology to like three takes and then let it rest. Like after three consecutive takes, you're probably thinking too hard. But the first take, there's a special quality about it because It's your first one. So pressure's kind of off. You know you have more chances to get it right if you don't. And so I tend to have my best takes be the first takes because um, I'm not thinking too hard yet. I'm not trying to – I'm not panicking that I haven't gotten it yet. It's just kind of uh, more relaxed, I guess, for me. So, yeah, it's a good feeling. Um, And it's a good feeling to do it a few times and then generally I'll gravitate back to the first, first or second, you know. Um, but it's just tapping into that right headspace where you can just be present and deliver it. And, um, you know, you do that in live performance all the time. So it's, but then you put a, put you in the studio in front of a mic and it suddenly seems like this big deal, you know? So I don't know. Yeah. The studio is a special place.
1: Cool, let's check it out. This is Across the Grade Divide by Kelly Hunt.
2: Oh, one more time won't you speak those words I long to hear They ring like a melody that lingers in my ear And I trace the words upon your lips that better for to hear And to etch the memory in my mind Of a love I'd only ever hoped to find Oh, one more time, won't you place your hand upon my breast And feel the heart that beats for you The heart that knows no rest The heart that knows you most of all The heart that loves you best And that broken, though it be, goes marching on And renders its love into a song Well, I am flooded as a broken down I am busted as a highwayman. You hit me on my blind side and you slipped right through my hands and the fragments flung so far I don't see how I'll ever get a home myself now. There's so many things I couldn't bring myself to say So many little burdens you couldn't bear to give away There's so many obstacles that undermined our strength And suddenly the walls came tumbling down And in the rubble you were nowhere to be found But well, The hardest part is knowing circumstances are heavy weight of grief uncertainty and shame They carried us to sea, they buried us in the wake and we were battered by storm, too rough to ride We washed ashore on opposite sides Now I am rutted as the parched low lands And I've been gutted Sad one day we'll come see Just how bad I am But you're not bad Just for the brokenness and pride And a little too much hurt But I find only the converse to be true. Her every day expands my love for you. And I hope she brings you comfort. And I hope your love is true. And I hope you are a friend to her as I have been to you. And I hope you have a happy home that brings you life anew. And that no bitter regrets may dog your mind. Do remember me from time to time My love is quiet, but still waters run deep And it calms the riot that's inside of me and it's high as the sky, and it's vast as the sea And over time it'll cut a canyon wide very near cross great divide.
1: If you're enjoying this episode of the Crazyology Podcast, make sure to click subscribe so you can keep up with new episodes. Also, check out other episodes featuring musicians that live and tour through Kansas City, Missouri. We have episodes with jazz legend Bobby Watson, music from the alternative folk band Shy Boys, and a conversation with Ben Folds about his book A Dream About Lightning Bugs. Now let's get back to my conversation with folk artist Kelly Hunt. You moved to Kansas City, but there's already somebody here named Kelly Hunt. (laughs) Yeah. Have there been awkward moments in the past where people expect the other Kelly hunt and, or what, what is the overall experience been like as two musicians playing two completely different sounds mm-hmm. and you, you, you come here and you're, you're starting to your get recognition and there's other people who are confusing you for each other.
3: Right? No. I mean, it still happens all the time. <laughs> I'm sure I know there have been shows we've played where, you know, Ninety-five percent of the people there were there to see the other Kelly. That Hunt.
1: many? Yeah,
3: there have definitely been shows because oh, wow. she's been touring for years and she's got such a loyal following, especially in Kansas and surrounding areas. And um, you know, she has really, really loyal, active fan base. And um, I actually first found out about Kelly when I was still living in Memphis cause I saw her name on the Memphis and Maybill oh, okay. and I was like, there's a Kelly hunt musician out there. And this was <laughs> years. I was, I was a teenager. It was years before, you know, I knew I'd be pursuing music professionally. Um, and then I moved to Kansas city and I was like, Oh, she lives here. <laughs> and, uh, so it was very quickly, you know, evident to me that that people were confused. I was starting to get, A lot of fan mail that was for her, like through my Facebook page and stuff. So that's how we first connected was I was forwarding her (laughs) like all this fan mail (laughs) I was getting, um, for her and, um, you know, people, yeah, there was just confusion. So actually Kelly and I have a a mutual friend, Diana Griffin Ennis, who she has a show on KKFI, the tasty brew on Tuesday mornings. And, um, She's a mutual friend and, and she said, let's do a Kelly Hunt show. You know, we'll bring both of you into the studio. We'll set the record straight on the air and uh, it'll be fun. And so we did. We That was the first time I actually met Kelly and, uh, and Al, her manager, uh, her husband and manager. And so... Um, we hit it off. You know, she played on one of my songs. I played on one of her songs and, uh, we had this two hour long interview and sort of just got to hang out. And then she and Al really mentored me. This was at the tail end of the recording process. You know, I was just wrapping up the album. And, uh, so they were mentoring me through, you know, the tail end of that and just, um, kind of just naturally blossomed into, a a friendship and a management relationship. And so now Al manages me as well, okay. uh, which is just like one of those cosmic events where he <laughs> didn't even have to change his voicemail, you know, represents Kelly hunt music. <laughs> and uh, so now they're like family and it's just radical, but it's one of those just things where our names brought us together and there was just a shared uh, vision and understanding and sort of approach. So it's beautiful, really. It's, bizarre and beautiful but she's a wonderful woman and and she really is an americana artist you know loosely the same umbrella Mm -hmm. but she's much more on 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 the blue spectrum of that and i'm much more on the folk side so uh, people just yeah can't people will literally sit through a show and come up to me sometimes and be like i saw you you know 10 years ago in las vegas or whatever (laughs) i'm just like you know i was still in college and <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to Las Vegas.
1: I'm curious know? how people can, I mean, cause like I've seen pictures of, I've seen pictures of her. It, obviously I've seen you.
3: It's yeah. You guys it's, don't even really like It's the phenomenon of coincidence, you know? I mean, wow. people just can't, sometimes it just can't believe that there's two. And I, it, yeah, it's, it's so confusing, but, um, yeah, the only distinction being that she has two E's in her Kelly and I have just the one, but that doesn't really matter with internet searches and all that stuff right. anyway. So yeah, it's been fun. Uh, Has getting been to know talk them
1: of a Kelly to Kelly album,
3: yeah. <laughs> at least a show. I don't know about an album. Boy, that would be something that would be something. Yeah. Or
1: if you covered all of her songs, on <laughs> album she covered <laughs> yeah. all of your her songs. So.
3: <laughs> no, totally. That'd, that'd be fun. Yeah. We've talked about doing a show, show together at some point and that would be really funny. Um, yeah, I think the world of her and, you know, it's just... Who would play first? Oh, gosh. Well, go I probably that? wouldn't want to follow her, so <laughs> I would probably insist on going first. She, she's a force. She really is. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. Our names brought us together.
1: So have you considered going by a different stage name at all just because of this like thing that brought you together with the other Kelly Hunt?
3: Initially, I did. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, um, and so people were encouraging me to, you know, to just think about that. And uh, I thought about it for months and was just like going through the mental exercise of, well, what would I go by? You know, what's my and ultimately I was just like, I'm a singer songwriter. Like these songs are personal. I'm not, you know, a persona on stage. Um and just me oh like and that. and that you know there's two Kelly hunts and and we're different and um that you know, we both distinguish ourselves with our different styles and I just need to embrace my name and and uh make a name for myself and so um yeah, I think that was the right call because um, that's just more my style, you know, it's just more my style. I'm just me writing songs and singing them. And uh, so feels feels right.
1: Well, and you've been getting a lot of attention since you've been coming here. And obviously with the album coming out, you're getting even more attention and more popularity in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that kind of been like where you move to a brand new place and then people who you've never met are starting to recognize you for your art? Hmm. Rather than, you know, maybe some of the people back home might have known who you were and then they heard your music and they're like, oh, you're, you know, you're really good and we've known each other for a long time. But here it's like you're starting to actually have full on fans.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if that's sunk in yet. I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, it's all kind of surreal. I, and I try not to think too much about it because, Um, I just want to keep making stuff that's very, that's me. You know, I want to keep, I don't want to think too hard or, or try to get, um, (coughs) you know, too involved in the industry side of things because I don't want to start sounding like everybody else. You know, I, I listen to a ton of music and I'm inspired by just so such a diversity of, of musical traditions. And, um, but yeah, there is this sort of, um I'm humbled by it. I really am. Like that people would come out on a weeknight when they gotta get up for work in the morning and you know, they're gonna come out to hear me play my these little songs I wrote. Like it's just kind of crazy, you know. And um this tour that I just got back from, that was awesome. I mean, now like branching outside of Kansas City. Now that the album's out and being able to actually go places we've never been before and have fresh impressions, you know, that these aren't people who are who love you and know you and are friends and are going to support you, you Mm -hmm. know, um, that this is a brand new. Some of these, a lot of these years, it's the first time they've heard you. uh, And so that kind of, I guess. Um, gives gives me confidence for sure um, to know that you know it's not that it's landing in in other in other markets and sort of places and um, so yeah it's it's just such a privilege to be able to make music and travel around singing songs for people it's like I still can't believe I get to do that um, but I still just feel like <clears throat> you know, me and have all the same insecurities and, and, you know, things I'm, I'm trying to work through creatively and trying out new things. And I just want to never lose that, like freedom to experiment and try new things. And, uh, but yeah, there's this sense of responsibility. You don't want to let people down, you know, you don't want them to, um, love what you did, but not love what you're doing. you know, there's just a lot of those, uh, complicating emotions that, that, you know, I'm starting to work through, um, that I didn't have to, you know, worry about before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's
1: How was the response? Cause this was the first big tour you've mm-hmm. done since the album came out. What were people saying in places? Were you feeling venues where did you have some where it's a couple people and somewhere it's a lot?
3: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, it was just such a everyday, was um, full of surprises. And, you know, you just didn't know what you were showing up for. And there were some nights, you know, <laughs> there's one night we show up and there's over 100 people there and it's like a listening room. And you're just like, where did these people come from? And, and felt like, you know, we were just, it was an easy show to play. Everything was connecting and it was just effortless. And then you show up, you know, the next day and there's like, you know, two people and a dog and that's, you know, and that's it. And so <laughs> you're trying to, um, you know, but that's enough, you know, and it's, it's enough to have, anybody listening, um, but it just feels and looks radically different from night to night and from place to place. You know, there's some places we played where it was like, it's really, you know, it it just wasn't what they necessarily liked or wanted or were, and they get in a wide variety of music and this just wasn't in the wheelhouse of what they're used Mm -hmm. to. And and that's okay, you know. Just show up, do your thing the best way you can, and and then there's other places you go, and they're just flipping out. And and you know, it was amazing to go to uh, British Columbia, um, cross the border, and played a couple folk festivals, which was a new experience. And um, we're kind of really the token Americans on the bill, which I didn't realize. You know, it was a, it was a lot of Canadians and people from other parts of the world too, but. Um, we were kind of the only ones that were Americans playing, playing, you know, American inspired folk music. And so that was an interesting experience. And so we were like a novelty <laughs> <So then> people <laughs> were like really interested in, and, and wanted to meet us in, you know, just in Colorado, you know, I felt like everywhere we went in Colorado, people just got it. People just, it's what they, there's an appetite for what we're doing. And so that just differs culturally and like wherever you are, it feels a little different. And, um, So you just kind of start building up the mental toughness to be able to go in and whatever the circumstances are to still put on a show of the same caliber and energy and like, you know, professionalism, no matter what it looks like out there. Uh, It's a good exercise. Yeah.
1: Did you get a a swing through Tennessee?
3: Not on this run. No, no, we went west. So we went all the way out west. But this next, uh, I think the next, well, in September, October we'll be going back east, doing north, kind of the coast, northeast, and down southeast. So we might be able to fit in some some Tennessee shows there. Nice, but um, yeah, it was a real fun, real fun run. Um,
1: do you do you still miss where you grew up? <laughs> I mean, because I yeah. I don't know. There's something about your music where it it inherently just seems like there's there's something. In you, that you're expressing, but it's like very much what the Smoky Mountains are, and very much what the these uh, beautiful rolling giant yeah. hills are.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think about Tennessee every day. But you know, it's it's uh, and yeah, the lot of this first album, it's nostalgia, it's longing, it's sort of the the songs I call my. You know the my origin story. You know it's they're very much rooted in my beginnings and home and and being apart from the thing you love and that experience of uh, like being tied to to people and places that are absent from you and carrying them you know in a different place and um, so yeah, it's definitely a common thread through all those songs and um, just kind of the way it worked out. Um, so, yeah, but I, I kind of like having home to miss, I guess <laughs> I I do love to travel. I love, you know, but then to go home, the experience of going home, you know, when you've been missing it is just nothing like it really.
1: Well, one of the songs mm-hmm. off the new album back to Dixie, it, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, very much kind of that longing, like you were, yeah. uh, did you write that one here? I did. Yeah. And kind of what was happening that day or what was going through your mind that day? This <laughs> I was actually the song that remember you... that
3: day very well. I was, um, headed to, I had a show at Prospero's books mm-hmm. that night with Dan bliss and Scott Rabko and it was a writer's round. And I was living at the time in this giant, Uh, turn of the century house that was uh, my cousin's house, but she hadn't moved here yet. So I was house sitting this empty old house for her. And so I wrote most of the songs of the album in that house because it was just the perfect creative space. No one could hear me. I was just totally in an empty, it was just like a blank canvas. And I remember standing in the kitchen and I was supposed to be heading to the show, but the song had started coming into my mind. And so I was just standing in the kitchen trying to record, you know, the snippet of what was coming to me so mm-hmm. that I could pick it up later and un- let it unravel. But I was just trying to get it down. So I was late, you know, trying to just get it down <laughs> so that I could pick it up later. And then I remember the groove, there's a lot of groove shifts on that song. And I was just starting to explore, you know, the the banjo as a drum and and really all the percussive potential there. And I remember standing. And they're trying to figure, trying to actually do what I was hearing in my head in terms of the groove shifts, and just you know figuring out uh, how how to actually execute that on banjo. Um, so yeah, that was. But I don't know why that I must have been you know missing home, and uh, it just kind of welled up uh, and came out real quickly that song. And it's all yeah all images of um, of home um, and sort of how a place changes over time too, you know, but that you have this sort of crystallized, you know, image of it in your mind, like the way you remember Mm -hmm. things when you were a kid and then they don't look, you go back to that place and it doesn't look the way you remember, Mm -hmm. but it's still, that's what feels real is what you remember, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: You mentioned something in there before we listen to the song. If I don't think there's enough people in this world that realize how magical, being in a completely empty house and playing <laughs> yeah. and singing music is
3: it, there's yeah totally <laughs>
1: the oh man the acoustics yeah. in an empty house are just the great
3: especially yeah, wood when it's hard it's wood floors mm. no doors so the sound is just 10, like 10
1: 12 foot ceilings exactly oh, those man. old
3: homes with so many hard surfaces it's just like it's alive it's like yeah. another instrument that your instrument's playing off of and it's like yeah yeah, if I just had a big old empty house, I'd probably write way more than I that.
1: think that's like my goal in life It's like I don't want furniture. Oh, I, right. I need a bed in one room exactly. that I can close that door. Totally. And then everything else will just be empty so I can belt out and have somebody <laughs> sing harmonies exactly. with me.
3: Yeah, no, you get it. You get it. <laughs> And I'm living in, like, the polar opposite of that right now
1: in a studio right.
3: apartment in downtown yep. <laughs> with people on all sides, you know? Yep. It's like, you know.
1: It's anytime you're, like, trying to just really let it go, it just doesn't have, it just doesn't have that power. No, oh, no. Man. And you're
3: self-conscious that everyone wants to kill you mm-hmm. around you because yep. it's just like, how many times have you played this lick? Like, <laughs> it's, no, totally. There's a psychology to that, too.
1: When I moved into my apartment that I live in now, one of the first things when I pulled out my guitar was I played You Got a Friend in Me. Oh, yeah. Which it was, you know, as a 31-year-old uh, playing You Got a Friend in Me in a building I'd never been in. You do get self-conscious about it, yeah. though. Like Because, I don't know, it's kind of like practice time,
0: mm-hmm.
3: but
1: it's, you, so you know they're listening to you, but right. also, like, you're going to mess up.
3: Mm-hmm. I don't you're know. You're self-conscious. You yeah. can't go to that pure place of just pure creation where you're not think about anything else like if there's anyone around me you know I have to be utterly alone just utterly alone to really tap into that I've tried otherwise it just doesn't work
1: so that, how do you get into that space And since you do have like your downstairs apartment do you have a separate rec- not recording but do you have a separate um, practice space that you go to right or do you try and go out in nature or?
3: yeah I mean I do I gravitate towards nature always um, and I just go places where I can be alone and I write in my head. I don't need an instrument. I generally don't write on an instrument. I generally write in my mind first. I get the melody and the lyrics and sort of the feel and flesh it out that way. And uh, so I'll go for long walks, you know. And even if it's in the city, if you know there's no one around, I don't need to be singing out full voice. I just need to be articulating. I'm doing all the wor- writing in my head. Mm. So. Um, Yeah, I can, you know, but it's a matter of going places that facilitate, you know, that sort of serenity and just, so there's nothing like nature, you know, and that's why I like going home to Tennessee because that front porch, just a big old front porch and in the woods, you know, no one around and I can disappear into my mind there in a different way. There's aren't distractions, you know, it's just uh, finding those places, the car, driving for hours and hours and hours in a car by myself. I've written, I wrote Men of Blue and Gray uh, in the car. I wrote How Long in the Car. I wrote, um, what else did I write in the car? (laughs) Yeah, uh, several songs that aren't on the album. Um, So yeah, just finding those spaces where you can kind of be in your own little
2: world.
1: We teased it. I want to get to the song, so uh, (laughs) but we'll pick up with this just in a second. So let's listen back to Dixie.
2: When I make it back to Dixie, will she know her long gone daughter's face? Will there still be a place for me in the heart of the land I love? If I make it back.
1: Jump right back into something that you said before. uh, We listened to "Back to Dixie," and you said that you write everything kind of in your head first. Can you actually like write out a chord structure or a melody notation line just in your head that you can go back down later and write down? I no. Okay.
3: I don't. I mean, and I
1: you hear it.
3: I hear it, and I have like over a thousand voice memos that's how, because that's the quickest way for me to capture what I'm doing without thinking too much about it, um, is just, cause as soon as I get into that analytical, critical mindset, it dries up, you know, I just, it has to come out freely. And so I just record, um, and then I, I really kind of write by ear. And, um, so Stosh who plays violin with me and who co-produced the album with me and, um, tours with me and, kind of my right-hand man, and uh, he comes from that background of, like, deeply steeped in theory. I mean, I, I took piano lessons, and I grew up doing choir, and I could read music for singing. And, um, you know, and when I first started writing on piano, I would notate, you know, what I was doing as an exercise. But it takes me so long, and it's such an intellectual—it's not like I can just rattle it off, and so um, just not fast enough— And it's not the way that I conceive of music um, when I'm writing. So yeah, I just record snippets and then um, kind of piece them together uh, on the instrument when the song is written, melody and lyrics. Then I'll look at what chords are... Best, you know, underlying chords. What's the function of that chord and mm-hmm. how is it fitting into, you know, and uh, picking patterns and rhythmic things. Then I'll start to flesh it out. Um, but that's kind of the last step for me. And deciding what instrument does it belong on. You know, is it mm-hmm. on the tenor? Is it on the five string? It, now that guitar's in the mix, you know, is it an a cappella tune? Um, is there violin on this or is this a solo tune? You know. Um, and then when you have a studio at your disposal, it's like okay, well, what are the other production layers? You know, do we want upright bass? Do we want rhythm guitar? Um, so those are all after the fact. But start out just melody and lyrics.
1: What has that relationship been like for you with Stosh? Because he does. It seems like you guys really are just a give and take, just <gasps> equal mm-hmm. pair, like a great mix to be playing music with each mm.
3: other. Yeah. I mean, I'm really fortunate to make music with him. He, uh, so I, I write the songs and then I'll internalize them for a while and kind of make sure they are what I want them to be roughly or what, what I feel like they're asking to be. Um, so I, I give that time and space to kind of, uh, come together and then I'll bring them to him and, um, you know, get just get his thoughts, get his insights. And sometimes he'll have a suggestion, you know, like have you thought about maybe fitting this chord in, uh, would really support the melody well there. Or, um, hey, you know you're going into like this, like that this section of the song breaks out of time and is in, you know, and it's like, oh, no, I didn't know that, but I like that. <laughs> so identifying those things um, to where, you know, Um, I at least, I just know what I've written essentially Mm -hmm. and know, and then I'm intentional about keeping those little quirks. Um, and yeah, so he has a real good, um, yeah, we kind of shape it together and then I'll, a lot of times I'll hear the licks and I'll kind of tell him what I'm hearing on violin, um, for a lick or for a particular, you know, how I'm hearing it fit in and then he'll kind of just interpret that, um, into his part. And so it's a very natural, um, process and, and he always kind of has intuited, um, my vision and sort of my style of writing, you know, I don't know if you've heard of the story of how we met, um, I haven't. <laughs> at the Westport saloon at an open mic and I was playing the title track, even the sparrow and, uh, it was just very free form, you know, back in the chicken and picking days on Sundays, they yeah, had just a free form open mic and, uh, he heard that song and he, he just had his, he had his violin. He jumped up and started, he heard where he could fit into it. He understood the song and it's kind of a weird quirky song. There's like, I don't play on the downbeat. It's a modal kind of like, it's just a strange song. So for him to just jump up and kind of intuit exactly what, how to fit into that and, and, and make it, enhance it add a different sonic dimension to it. Um, was kind of just surprising and wonderful. And I remember Brooke Blanche was in the audience and uh, came up to me afterwards and he was like, you know, you two should be making music together, right? <laughs> and, uh, Brooke I doesn't sound like, oh, like that, know. Though. <laughs> Yeah, right.
1: You know. Yeah, anyone who's listened to my interview, interview. I can't yo. do it. No
3: one can do a Brooke Blanche impression. <laughs> uh, no, but I was like, oh, I hadn't conceived of playing with other people. I was a solo artist, a writer, you know, and... Um, so it kind of was born of that moment. Um, yeah, he just gets it. He just gets it.
1: Now that you have though, started mm-hmm. playing with people, mm-hmm. have you wanted to expand that into more stuff when you're, you're just not currently, or are you <laughs> thinking that's the next step?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I want to do all, I want to do all of it. I mean, I, I love, I love playing solo shows sometimes and just stripping it down to the song you know, and just that's it. Um, and there's certain songs that function best that way. Um, and that's a different muscle to exercise, just being on a stage by yourself and being all the things you need to be for the song. But then I love, you know, working with Stosh and playing with Stosh and there's an energy, a synergy, you know, that happens there where you're making music with somebody else. And there's something, I think as an audience member, there's like something that happens when you hear harmonies when you hear instruments blending like uh I love that but then you know I've had the chance now to, a couple times to play with uh you know backing musicians have sort of a band and be in the studio and hear songs like on the album fleshed like back to dixie fleshed out with percussion and bass and rhythm guitar and it's like I love that too and uh I hope there will be a chapter in my life where I can do some touring with a band and um, I think Stash and I both definitely hear different layers on some of these songs, that they'd be the best version of themselves with some added layers. So, yeah, I totally would like to. It's just uh, starting out, trying to have a simple footprint and focus on, you know, um, starting small and, and building in a natural way. But, yeah, I love playing with other people.
1: That's it for this episode of the Crazology Podcast. Today's episode was produced by myself, Kendall Swank, with production assistance and editing done by Mike Simpson. You can find all the Tribune Audio Network podcasts online. Just search wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today is Kelly Hunt, and this is Sunshine Long Overdue.
2: Oh no, don't turn your face away From the haggard light of day The sun rose and so must you Gone are the shadows of the night Put out the artificial lights That in these absence have to do by you and the sunshine is long overdue oh tell me what's the thought that plagues your mind is it that you've run out of time is it that you're no good believe me friend i understand you're the tethered to the second hand you feel it's every move